Welcome to the Stephanie Humphrey Podcast. We are a faith-based podcast featuring biblical teachings, Stephanie Sip and Say, and book discussions with author Stephanie Humphrey. Tune in to hear a word from the Lord and to tap into Stephanie's heart. We hope you enjoy listening and don't forget to subscribe. Blessings. So again, welcome to Determined Publishing's 2021 book study. I'm so excited that you all have chosen to join me on tonight. I ask that you chat with me, ask any questions you may have as we're reading through the book. If you're listening on our podcast later, definitely send us an email. Let us know what you think about the excerpts that I'll read from this particular book. I love this book. You all are going to hear me say it every single month. I love each of my books for different reasons. (laughs) And I love this Our Arranged Marriage because it is the first book. I can't remember if it's the only book, y'all. It's something, right? But it's the first book where I feature flashbacks. So within the book, there are flashbacks to give you more information about um, Grace and Thomas's relationship. And do you all know where I got the idea of flashbacks? I'm not even going to tell you. I'm going to see if you can figure it out. And maybe by the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you. But it was one of my favorite TV shows that I used to watch. It's no longer on television. But I got the flashback ideas from that particular TV show. And I was just like, hmm. This would be interesting to have flashbacks of Thomas and Grace, and it's a couple of them. And the flashbacks, again, it gives you it gives you more of their history, more of their foundation as it relates to their relationship when they were growing up. So this book has some really good, insightful flashbacks. Look, I'm doing a double time here, so I'm just gonna see. If I'm just going to say hello to you very, very quickly, I'm going to see if I can. Yeah, I'm going to move this over, actually, because I want to chat with you. I'm really curious what you have to say about um, Grace and Thomas's relationship. So without further ado, I'm going to sit this here and I'm going to welcome everyone on our YouTube broadcast. And then I'm going to go forward so that we can get our book reading started. Awesome. So look, I know trying to do a podcast and do YouTube live, it is challenging. If y'all have some suggestions for me to do better, I will be more than willing to accept that. So this book was released in 2014. It actually had a different cover, and I should have brought the first cover over, but I didn't even think to bring the first cover over. It was re, um, re-released in 2018 with this particular cover, and I really love it because I think it speaks more to what's going on in this story. All right, so I'm going to get right into reading. I'm going to actually read the full of chapter one. I'm going to read all of chapter one to you. Do I have everything? Thomas wondered, looking into his barely full suitcase. Thomas went into his bathroom for his shaving bag. Maybe I should add a few more clothes just in case. That should be it. Thomas snapped his suitcase with finality. He picked up a smaller bag from beside his bed, grabbed his suitcase off the bed, and looked around his room as if it would be the last time he would see it. Thomas slowly walked down the steps, assessing the trip ahead. A woman's voice broke his concentration. There's your dad, Adam. Thomas took a long, slow breath as he descended the steps in silence. He watched his son's caregiver and his employee, Martha Sachs, rock Adam back and forth. Martha, thanks for manning the store and for watching him on such short notice. Martha looked at Thomas as if he had just spoken an unknown language (laughs) to her. I had to put my speaking in tongues in there. (laughs) 
um, as if she had as if she had spoken an unknown language to her. I'm sorry. Let me read that again to make sure that you get it, and to make sure that I'm reading it correctly, right? Martha looked at Thomas as if he had just spoken an unknown language to her. It won't be my first time taking over your store, Thomas. As for Adam, he is at my house all the time anyway. You just happen to be out of reach now. Thomas flashed a look of hurt and anger. I can't do this right now, Martha. We are going to have to do it at some point, Thomas. Thomas lowered his head. It's time for me to go. Give our love to John, George, Sadie, and Grace if you see her. Thomas froze. If I see her, will I see her? Of course I'll see her. But I haven't seen her in nearly five years except for a faint memory at Greta's funeral. He breathed another slow, deep breath and nodded to Martha. Thank you again for taking care of everything while I'm away. Thomas kissed Martha on the cheek and barely looked at Adam. Your son would like some love from you too. Thomas looked at Adam, his face filled with regret. Bye. Thomas rushed through the door before Mark, Martha could tell him that a bye was not enough love. Peace at last. Why does Martha keep bothering me? She knows I'm not ready. You're just afraid. And so if you've seen the book, there are italics here that, that you're just afraid. It is actually the voice of the Lord speaking. <laughs> This book is filled with flashbacks. It's filled with the voice of the Lord and it is filled with prayers. It is a faith-based romance novel. He pushed God's voice away and focused on the long drive that led to his childhood home. Several hours later, Thomas pulled beside his grandfather's car, got out and stretched the length of his 6'2 frame. A sight for sore eyes. George Elliott walked out to the porch. Thomas, how are you, son? Thomas looked at the man who had served his family faithfully for the last 50 years. A man tall in stature with a solid frame and a heart as gentle as he was strong. A friend and someone he had confided in when his own father had passed away. He walked up the porch and held out his hand George grabbed Thomas and hugged him, <laughs> almost lifting him off the porch. George held the screen door open for Thomas, walking in behind him before securing the latch. Thomas set his bags in the parlor and turned to George. How is he? George chuckled, good, dying, but good. He's been asking after you and for that grandbaby. Thomas tried not to think on his son. He had not even looked at him long enough to know who he looked like. He heard Martha say that Adam looked like him, but with a hint of Greta. Greta. Thomas's mind went back a few months. He sighed. thinking about the events that led to her untimely passing. Almost lifted. George, George recognized. George recognized Thomas's mood, wrapping his arm around the other man's shoulder. Come on, son. Mr. George led him upstairs to the room of John Thomas Wellington, announcing his arrival as he opened the door. Thomas saw Miss Sadie Bassett rocking in, her, in his grandmother's favorite rocker. She stood to greet him with the same bear hug George had given him minutes earlier. How are you, Miss Sadie? Good for an old gal. Great to see you, Thomas. How are you? I am all right, Miss Sadie. Glad to know that you are doing well. 
Sadie replied. Well, thank you, and I'm sorry about Greta and missing the funeral. Oh, I made a mistake there. I am all right, Miss Sadie. Glad to know you are doing well, Thomas replied. Well, thank you, and I'm sorry about Greta and missing the funeral. You received my package for you and Adam, didn't you? Thomas, I don't know why she is asking you. I told her I gave it to you. She asked me a hundred times when I got back. Thomas looked upon his grandfather. I'm talking to Thomas, thank you, Sadie countered. Thomas couldn't help but smile. There was plenty said when Miss Sadie and John were in the same room. <laughs> they had been going at it for as long as he could remember. Kept the entire family in good spirits during the good and the bad. He shook his finger, focusing on the seasoned woman staring up at him. I received the package, Miss Sadie. Thank you for thinking of us. Well, you well, know, you know I... sorry, sorry about that, y'all. Well, you know, I'm always thinking of you and you're, and you're welcome. How was that son of yours? Sadie felt Thomas stiffen as she held his hand. She waited for his reply. Martha is taking great care of him and thank you so much for taking care of my grandfather. Thomas added quickly, changing the subject. Sadie noticed, but she didn't press him. Sadie grunted, mm. I'm gonna say it like your grandmother used to. I am the only one that will put up with him, so I might as well keep him. <laughs> they laughed at this sentiment while Thomas walked over to hug and kiss John. How are you, grandfather? Well, for a dying man, I feel wonderful, Thomas. Observe his grandfather lying in his bed. He appeared frail, but still full of life. He pushed down the anger for not coming sooner. He knew he should have come sooner, but he was being selfish and prideful and trying, trying so hard to keep Greta happy. He was so stupid, falling for all of her lies and deceit. He shook his head, trying to push away memories of their life together. No time to live in that regret now. He was here and he would stay as long as his grandfather needed him. Thomas shifted his attention to the lady at his grandfather's side. There she is, Grace Frances. His eyes raked over her silky caramel flesh. She sat there as pretty as ever, holding his grandfather's hand. He suddenly became aware of how he must look to her, disheveled, old, maybe worn. He mustered his courage and looked into her eyes. Wow, those soft, beautiful eyes held warmth and love. Just as he remembered, Grace was his childhood friend. He remembered their many pranks and fewer punishments. They were always in trouble for one thing or another, but it made for an exciting and memorable childhood. Then they got older and things began to change between them. A change that he enjoyed at the time, but he would not allow his thoughts to travel there. He did allow his mind to travel to the memory of one of their last conversations. A memory that haunted him for most of his marriage to Greta a memory that held the cause of his failed marriage. So now I'm gonna go into a flashback. Thomas, I cannot believe you would marry her. She is only interested in you for your money. She heard Wellington steal and you became a dollar sign to her. She is going to break your heart and leave you hopeless and pathetic. Hopeless and pathetic? Is that what you think of me? That I am hopeless and pathetic? No. I see you as a strong leader, 
A man who is warm, loving, respectful, full of so much promise and success. But she has changed you into a hopeless, pathetic puppy, following her around and jumping at her every whim. The sex must be amazing because that is the only thing that could have you behaving so stupidly. Now I'm stupid. You are batting a thousand right now. Thomas walked away from her, throwing his hands in the air in frustration. She walked over to him and spun him around. I am and I'm not finished. Have you told her about your plans for opening your own store? The money allotted to you from your parents once you marry? Does she know how much the Wellington family is worth? Silence. I assume so. Does she know that your plans are to live in the store loft? Silence. No, she doesn't know. Afraid that the dust in small quarters will cause her to leave you? Thomas, this woman has turned an intelligent, strong-willed, outspoken man, namely you, into a coward, and I am done with you. Grace stormed out of the room. Thomas stood there looking behind Grace. He knew where she was going, but he dared not follow her. Or should he? He sat down on the couch and put his hands in his head. A half hour passed by and Grace had not returned. Thomas grabbed a flashlight and went to their secret garden. He found her kneeling at her favorite chair crying. He walked over, picked her up, and held her in his arms. Grace lifted her head. Thomas, I'm sorry for what I said, but I am, excuse me, let me say that again. Thomas, I'm not sorry for what I said, but I am sorry for how I said it. I sped it out at you and I'm sorry for that. But you know I'm right. You know it. And I don't know why you have allowed this woman to take over your life. You are better than this. You are inviting unnecessary turmoil into your life that will only come cause you tremendous pain. I love you. And I don't want you to go through the inevitable heartache she will cause you if you marry her. She is pregnant, Grace. Grace pulled back from him. Is that what she told you? Yes. And you believe her? Yes, he said hesitantly. Have you been to the doctor with her? Do you have proof? No. You should, Thomas, because I bet all my inheritance that she is lying. Grace jumped up from his arms. Grace, why would she lie about something this serious? Would you marry her if she hadn't told you? Thomas rubbed the back of his neck. He knew he couldn't lie to Grace. He never could, nor did he want to. Honestly, I'm not sure if I would right now, but I am not going to turn my back on my responsibility. Then you don't love her. I love her, but I am not in love with her. Thomas walked up to Grace and held her face in his hands. I am in love with you. Then why aren't you marrying me? That's the end of the flashback. Then why aren't you marrying me? Because I was a coward, Grace. I'm so sorry. Thomas sighed. Now this is just him thinking, not actually speaking to her. He knew that Grace was not the cause of his failed marriage. He and Greta were. Her lies and his belief of them, that is what caused his horrible marriage. But he chose to ignore that fact, that truth. The lie allowed him to remain distant and cold, and he was good at that. Oh no, she smiled. Those sweet lips smiled at me. Those lips that he used to kiss, lips he thoroughly enjoyed kissing. He shook away the longing within and acknowledged her smile with a nod. Wow, there he is. Thomas Arlington Wellington, the long lost grandson of John Wellington, her friend, her confidant, 
and the love of her life. The one she spent most, almost every waking moment with. The one who knew her thoughts, her dreams, her secrets, her heart. The only problem is she hadn't seen him in five years, <laughs> except for his late wife's funeral. He looked wearied and stressed, but behind the hard lines that overtook his face and the sadness that stilled his eyes lay the handsome young man that she fell in love with so long ago. She longed to hold him and let him know that he was not alone. But considering the look on his face, she didn't even think she would receive a smile from him, more or less allow her to touch him. Her mind settled on one of their last conversations when he told her he was in love with her. She did not know his present emotional and mental state, but she would be who she always was and offer him warmth. So she smiled softly at him. It must have been the wrong move because she watched his body stiffen as he nodded her way and turned his attention back to John. Oh well, she turned her attention there as well to the current love of her life, her papa. Grace noticed the familiar, that familiar look in her papa's eyes. She kissed his forehead. I will be back in a little while with your dinner. John kissed her hand reluctant to let her go but he knew she was giving him space for giving she was giving space for him to talk of thomas george sadie and grace quietly left the room closing the door behind them john watched his family disappear behind the door and settled his attention on the lone man in the room he watched thomas trying to get a hold of his emotions after seeing grace John knew it would be difficult for Thomas to see her, difficult for them to see each other, but he had a solid, solid remedy to help them along. Too bad he would not be around to see the beautiful outcome. Well, he knew it would be hard at first, especially for Thomas, but grace would be, bring the beauty Thomas needed. With God's help, it would turn out just as the Francis and Wellington family always wanted. But for now, John watched Thomas struggle between the anger, bitterness, and guilt he felt. Thomas, he said quietly, deciding not to bring Grace into the conversation. Thomas finally looked at his grandfather, knowing the uncomfortable line of questioning that was to come. He decided he would steer the conversation. How are you really, grandfather? Well, you know I'm dying, son, John said with a chuckle. The doctor said my lungs are bad due to all that smoking I used to do. Then I caught this nasty illness that I haven't been able to shake. Now it has overtaken my body. It's a doozy, has me coughing in pain, dizzy and sometimes hard of breath. My oxygen is here by the stand for when I need it. Grandmother told you for many years to stop. He shook his finger at John. You should have listened and maybe this sickness wouldn't have caught you so strong. That she did, my boy. And you are right. I should have listened. <laughs> How was my great grandson? How was Adam? Well, Martha takes good care of him. Yes, you said that already. <laughs> but how is he doing? And back to the unspoken question, how are you really? Thomas stood, annoyance flashing across his face. He walked to the window. Why does everyone keep asking me that? Because we all care about you and will continue to ask until you honestly answer us. <laughs> no, that's right. Thomas took a deep breath. I'm sorry. I know. I just get so upset. I cannot bear to look at him for fear that I will see Greta's face and the inevitable flood of emotions that will follow. Anger, hurt, embarrassment, shame, fear. 
I just don't know what to do sometimes, how to handle it all. I have nothing to show for my marriage but lies, betrayal, debt, and all this flood of emotions. How can a father not look at his own son? John reached for his grandson. Come here, Thomas. Thomas reluctantly walked to his grandfather's side, tears already falling. John held him in his arms. It's all right, son, let it go. God is a restorer. He is a healer. I know you stopped being a believer, but God believes in you. He loves you and has, and has surrounded you with loved ones to tell you so. It is time you forgive, son. Time to release the anger and bitterness and forgive so that you can move on. So that you can move forward in your life and so you can take care of your son. Thomas knew his grandfather spoke the truth, but he was not ready to receive those words. Not ready to forgive. Anger suited him best. It helped him cope. Thomas sighed, I'm just not ready. Isn't that like some of us, we have endured some things in our past, whatever those things were, I'm not even gonna start trying to name a list, but we have endured some things in our past, whether it was from um, the home that we grew up in with our parents, whether it was from our siblings, other family members, whether it was in a marriage or other relationships, such as friendship relationships or romantic relationships like your boyfriend or girlfriend, we have all endured some things in our past, but it is up to us to work through that pain, to work through that disappointment, to work through that anger and that bitterness and ultimately forgive that person or forgive those people for the harm that we believe they caused us and for the harm that they actually did cause us. So John, Papa John, <laughs> is asking Thomas to forgive his wife, but Thomas is like, no, anger suits me best. So he is choosing, instead of choosing to release the anger, hurt, unforgiveness and bitterness, he is choosing to hold on to it. And I'm so curious as to know what is your state in life? Like, where is your heart? Where is your mind? Have you forgiven the person that harmed you? Have you forgiven the person that hurt you to your core? Have you forgiven that group of people who talked about you, who scandalized your name, who drug you through the dirt? Have you forgiven the, that group of people? I hope so. If you haven't forgiven, I encourage you to seek your heart, assess your heart, assess your thoughts and determine, am I gonna hold on to this anger? Am I gonna hold on to this unforgiveness? Am I gonna continue to be bitter and mistreat people? Or am I gonna release, release that anger, release that fear, release that bitterness so that I can be free? Forgiveness is for you. It's so that you can be free in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul. So I, again, encourage you to forgive those who have hurt you. Sometimes forgiveness can happen right away, but sometimes, y'all, forgiveness is a process. <laughs> sometimes the relaxer don't take the first time, right? Sometimes the forgiveness don't take the first time. Sometimes we gotta walk out forgiveness. We have to walk out every single day uh, thinking well of this person, thinking good thoughts of this person, waking up saying, I forgive this person for what they did to me. Sometimes it's just a process. I mean, it might take a few weeks. It might take a few months. It maybe, hopefully it won't take up to a year, but maybe it, you know, it'll take a little longer than, than a few months. But I, again, for the third time, one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Ghost, encourage you to forgive those who have hurt you. So Thomas is choosing to hold on to his anger. So we're going to keep reading. Sadie, Grace, and George sat in the kitchen at the kitchen table chatting. They looked up at Thomas's voice. Do you need help preparing dinner? Everyone eyed him, but Sadie responded. Don't come in here acting all innocent, Thomas. We know your grandfather sent you to ask when dinner was coming. Thomas chuckled. Things haven't changed much around here, have they? <laughs> Not much, except seeing you here. Sadie didn't hesitate to answer. 
She stood taking out the plates warming in the oven, fussing the whole time. Oreo goat, still as demanding as he was in his youth, wants everything done when, when he wants it. I ought to keep him waiting. They helped Sadie laughing the whole time. George pulled the trays of drink, drinks from the Frigidaire and Grace grabbed the tray of dinner plates. Let me get that. Thomas took the tray from Grace. You are supposed to be mad with her. Why are you helping her? He ignored his evil voice and responded to her thanks. Thank you, Thomas. You're welcome, Grace. Sadie and George noticed the exchange but remained silent. They headed up the stairs and prepared John's bedroom for dinner. George blessed the food. Father, we thank you for your beautiful blessings, for your bountiful blessings and beautiful blessings, but we said bountiful here, and for our family. Bless this meal that it be nourishment for our body and bless the hands that prepared it. And thank you for bringing our Thomas home. In Jesus' name, amen. They all agreed with an amen and began eating oven-baked chicken, corn on the cob, roasted potatoes, and greens. Thomas savored each bite. He had not had a home-cooked meal in a few weeks. He shook his head as he remembered Martha telling him that as of the following day, she would cease to bring his meals because he needed to arise and start to take care of himself. <laughs> How many mothers or grandmothers, have, how many of you mothers and grandmothers have had to tell your children, look, I'm not cooking for you tonight. I'm not cooking for you this week. You need to get up and learn how to cook for yourself. That's what Miss Martha told Thomas. His meals were not too bad, but they were nothing compared to this. He smiled in delight as he took a fork full of greens. His enjoyment must have showed because he noticed everyone looking at him. Thomas smiled sheepishly and they all burst into laughter. Thomas couldn't help but join them. That was delicious, ladies, thank you. John paused to smile at the women in his life. I am so glad to have my family here with me. This is a great way to transition to heaven, surrounded with love and in peace. I am, however, missing my great-grandson. I'm sorry that I didn't bring him, but Martha needed to run the store. His middle daughter is helping with the young and the youngest is watching Adam. I wasn't sure how I would endure how he would endure the ride or how I would take care of him and you. I just felt it better to leave him with them. Thomas noticed his grandfather looked pale. Grace did too, and rushed to put John's oxygen mask on. Grace saw the fear on Thomas's face. He's okay. When he gets excited or overly emotional, he loses his air sometimes. The oxygen will help. He usually comes back to himself after about 10 minutes or so. 30 minutes passed and John did not look any better. George reached for the phone and called the doctor. Dr. Jackson walked out of John's room. Sadie, Grace, and Thomas stood. Dr. Jackson looked at them sorrowfully and sighed. It's not good. His lungs are getting weaker. He needs to stay on his oxygen for a little longer this evening. He will need to have his mask on more often during the day to assist with his breathing. I have given George the instructions. Sadie, just keep him comfortable. All of you and try not to excite him. I will be back tomorrow afternoon. Sadie put her hand on the doctor's arm and walked him out. Thomas watched them from the hallway. He saw Sadie bid her goodbyes while Grace stayed with the doctor and talked a while. Heat brewed within Thomas with every minute he watched them from the window. Grace sat on the right side of John's bed and Thomas on his left. Sadie and George stood behind them on each side. How are you feeling, Papa? John reached for his oxygen mask and Grace helped him take it off. Weak, baby girl. It won't be long now. Sadie leaned in. You need anything, John? Everyone right here is all I need, he coughed. Grace put his mask back on. 
John, you need to get some rest. George turned his attention to Thomas. You and Grace stay a while. Sadie and I will be back to relieve you. Thomas simply nodded. Grace climbed in the bed beside John and laid her hand on his shoulder. I love you so much, Papa. John took off his mask and hugged Grace. You too, baby girl. I love you so much too. You are the love of my life. Thomas replaced the mask, knelt beside John, and placed his hand on his arm, too emotional for words. John wrapped his arm around his grandson's shoulder. John held his grandchildren tightly as he rested. George and Sadie remained on the outside of the door, peeking in, unable to leave. But when they saw this last gesture, the tears fell. George gently closed the door and comforted Sadie. This was the next day. Grace was preparing breakfast when Thomas walked into the kitchen. Good morning, Thomas. Morning. He walked over to prepare himself, himself a cup of coffee. Grace sensed his ill mood. Did you sleep all right last night? Fine. What were you talking to Dr. Jack about yesterday? Grace turned around to face him. Excuse me? Thomas glared at her. What were you two discussing? Were you two discussing something about my grandfather that I need to know about? Thomas, you know everything there is to know, like we all do. I can't help what went on in your house, but we don't keep secrets in this one. You're keeping something, Grace. You took the doctor from this house to talk in private after he just gave a bad report about my grandfather. Your grandfather? Your grandfather? If you were so concerned about your grandfather, you would have come home sooner than when he is lying on his deathbed. Where were you when he was so sick at night that he couldn't sleep and so sick during the day that he couldn't eat? Where were you when he had nightmares calling out for you for fear he contributed to your current life state? Where were you through his doctor visits and medical treatments, huh? Where were you, Thomas? If you were so concerned about your grandfather, it would not have taken you five years to find your way back home. Secrets with Dr. Jackson about your grandfather? Get off your high horse and do something constructive. Take this tray up to your grandfather so that he can have his breakfast. Grace turned back to the stove. She sighed when she heard him leave. When she heard Thomas pick up the tray and leave, Grace put the remainder of the food on another tray and took it upstairs. Good morning, everyone. Breakfast is served. Grace took the tray from Grace. Smells delicious. Sure does, Thomas chimed in sarcastically. She belongs in the kitchen cooking. Grace spoke ever so politely, and you belong in your general store struggling to pay your bills. Thomas stood from his seat on the windowsill to say something, but Sadie held up her hand and gave them both a stern look. John, who was feeling much better, shook his head. What is eating at you two? You should be getting along. And what took you so long to bring up my breakfast, baby girl? I'm up here wasting away. Grace smiled at John. <laughs> he always knew how to soften her heart. Now you know I will take this tray down as fast as I brought it up here. Don't talk to my grandfather that way, Thomas moved closer to Grace. John scolded as Thomas turned. John scolded at Thomas and turned back to Grace. And I will have to come after you and get it. Grace, uh, George, excuse me. <laughs> George nearly choked on his juice. I'd like to see that. Sadie, who was passing out plates, paused. I'd pay money to see that. <laughs> Everyone laughed except Thomas. I don't understand why you all are joking at a time like this. Grandfather is dying and you all are carrying on like it's just another happy day in Sunnyville. Thomas's agitation grew as bewildered faces stared back at him. He threw his hands in the air. I've got to get out of here. They all watched Thomas go. I'm sorry, Papa. Thomas and I got into an argument downstairs. I was rough on him. 
Maybe grace, maybe so grace, but what's ailing my grandson started long before your conversation downstairs. John took a deep breath. Let's pray so we can eat. Lord, thank you for this food and for the hands that prepared it and deliver my grandson from his trouble so that he may be free to experience your love in its fullness. Amen. An amen chorus followed and the eating commenced, but Grace was distracted. She checked the window and as she suspected, Thomas was walking into the woods toward their secret garden. It was a clearing several feet beyond the front yard. They had set up chairs, a table, flowers, stone statutes, and other items to make it their own. Grace thought about the many days they spent there when they were younger. In fact, they spent most of their time there talking, laughing, working on homework, and just hanging out. They grew up in that, hide, in that hideout. They learned each other well in that hideout. They had fallen in love in their secret garden. She blew out a breath she did not even realize she was holding. Shaking away the memories, she sat down on the window cushion to eat, tuning in to the conversation before her. I'm actually gonna pause right there. There are a few more paragraphs within chapter one, but I'm gonna move on a little forward. It talks more about the conversations that the families have had about Grace and Thomas. So when you purchase the book, you can read it for yourself later. And I'm gonna go a little bit further down into chapter one. Grace woke up, sun shining in her face. But when she fully woke, she heard the commotion. She quickly put on her skirt and top and rushed down the hall to John's room. She walked in to see her papa gasping for air and the doctor quickly returning his oxygen mask. She walked up beside his bed and smiled at him. He returned a half smile at her as his eyes closed. John woke up a while later with Grace's head by his side. Thomas sat by the window looking worried. George sat in the chair to his right reading a book and Sadie sat in the rocking chair crocheting. Grace felt her papa stir and lifted her head. Do you need anything? With that, everyone stood up and surrounded John's bed. He lifted his shaking hand to the oxygen mask and with Grace's help, removed it. John spoke feebly, but his passion was strong. Thomas, my dear boy, I love you. Believe that your future life will be greater than your past life. Forgive and move forward. Thomas responded with a frown a hand through his hair, and then tears. Sadie, sorry about that. Sadie, George, I, Sadie, George, I love you too. You have been the best friend anyone could have. John began to cough and George gave him a drink of water. You two put up with me when Elsie died and then when Grace's family passed away. Thank you. George and Sadie both replied with an I love you. Grace's eyes flooded with tears as soon as John turned her way. Grace, my dearest Grace, you are the light of my life. I think the world of you. You know I love you very much. I love you so much, Papa. Please don't go. I have to, baby, but you'll be all right. Keep our family strong and hold on to your faith. I will, Papa, I will. John squeezed his family's hands as they looked at him with love. John breathed his last breaths within those next moments and a sound went up around the world. That is the end of chapter one and I want to read just a few paragraphs of chapter two before I let you go. The funeral was filled with warm thoughts and memories of John's life and adventures from his neighbors, church members and town family. Even one of his school teachers, Mrs. Milligan, <laughs> who recently turned 93, recalled John's antics as a child. 
With Pastor Jim's words of words and encouragement, the stories and the laughter, an otherwise sad day turned into one of joy. John wouldn't have had it any other way. Tears fell from Grace's eyes as she reflected on her papa's funeral. She sat with Thomas, George, and Sadie on the porch, rocking in the F monogram porch rockers. George glanced at Thomas, whose gaze looked a million miles away. Do you feel okay, Thomas? What do you mean, do I feel okay? My last living relative is now dead, and you ask me how I feel? Your last living relative did not just pass away, Thomas. Did you not just see the pallbearers put him in the ground? I mean, we stood there the whole time at his request. You have a son, Thomas, Adam. He is your living relative and will continue the Wellington family legacy. As if not knowing how to respond to this, Thomas stormed away. I didn't mean to upset him. Grace eyed Miss Sadie. Grace, remember what your papa said about him being upset long before he arrived here? Tomorrow is going to be a hard day. What do you mean? Grace questioned Sadie. George gave Sadie a sharp look that Grace noticed this time. The will is being read tomorrow, Sadie replied under his scrutiny. Grace chuckled. I would think it would be the easiest day. I am sure Papa left him with buckets of money considering his financial affairs. She sighed. I know he needs it though. Lord knows all of this is not his fault, nor could he have known all of what would happen the day he said I do to Greta. I don't think any of us knew the magnitude. She paused, reflecting on what she knew about the failed marriage. Oh well. He needs some help, and I know Papa has secured all he needs. More than she knows, George mouthed to Sadie, who nodded in agreement. Grace didn't seem to mind that neither of them responded. She was lost in her own thoughts about Thomas. Thomas listened from the inside. He considered Grace's words. Is that all she thinks of me? Is my financial state and what Greta did to me? What am I saying? That is all I thought about for the last year. Thomas turned toward the living room, then stopped. The wheel. And I am going to stop right there. Um, once you purchase the book and continue to read, you will hear the details of the wheel. And you'll be able to... Assess, I, I guess I can say, Thomas and Grace's relationship. You'll be able to kind of um, predict what you think might happen um, within their relationship, within their friendship. You might be able to guess a little bit what the wheel might entail, considering the title of our book is Our Arranged Marriage. <laughs> but the details of the wheel are good. So I hope that you get an opportunity to go to determinedpublishing.com and pick out a cop or purchase, excuse me, um, the copy of or a copy of Our Arranged Marriage. It is $12, it's either $12 or $10 if I'm not mistaken. I hadn't looked up the price in a little while, but you can get the printed copy. I will mail it to you and then you can enjoy the rest of the story. Uh, with Thomas and Grace and Miss Sadie and Mr. George and Miss Martha are woven within um, the pages of the book and you're going to enjoy them as time goes forward <laughs> in the book. If you don't want a printed copy but you would prefer a digital copy then you can go to uh, Rakuten. It's Kobo and you can download the digital copy of the book for $4.99. So I think I'm going to just see if I have any questions. It doesn't seem like I have any questions, so I'm going to go ahead and um, let you know what book we're going to talk about next week. Well, before I do, I actually want to um, show you my calendars again, just in case you would like to pick up a copy. I do have some Determined Publishing calendars that feature all of the books that we're going to be talking about this year. 
So we've done our new kind of family this month for March, um, our arranged marriage. So it just takes you through. It's like a little reminder of all the books that we're going to be discussing throughout the year. Um, and it also has some boxes, of course, where you can put your birth dates and appointments and different events that you have show, have coming up. So this calendar, the wall calendar, is $12. And then I have the desk calendar. You can sit it right on your desk or right on your table. And it is the exact same calendar. It features all of the stories, the covers of the stories that we'll be covering for the 2021 book study year so there it is it does have oh, it doesn't have any space for you to write but you might be able to highlight or circle the important dates on the desk calendar and the desk calendar is nine dollars now i'll let you know the book that we're going to be reading next month so next month april we're going to read a mobster's love Y'all are going to hear me say this every time I said it at the beginning of the broadcast. I love every single one of my books for different reasons. Now, this particular book is a little more sensual, I'll say, than the other books that I've written. So I'm, I have a disclaimer for this particular book because it does involve premarital sex. And I know that premarital sex, according to the Bible, is not God's way of living. <laughs> I know that, but at the time that I was writing this book, there was a lot of struggling going on in my circle of friends with sex. And so I felt it important to recognize that there are Christian people. Now, this was years ago. We were all a little bit younger, we're older now and wiser. But I do, I want it known that there are Christians that still struggle with sex outside of marriage. Like they you know, experience that uh, the beauty of sex, even though it's more beautiful within marriage, but I'm not a marriage counselor, so I'm not going to go there. But they experience that um, prior to their marriage. And, you know, it was it was it was good. <laughs> so they continued on um, pre-marriage. So I do want it known that the uh, our lead characters uh, participate in premarital sex. It just is what it is. It's part of the book. Christian people struggle with it. If you don't like it, that's okay. You don't have to get the book. I had one reader tell me, isn't this supposed to be a Christian book? <laughs> I said, it is a Christian book. It is a faith-based Christian book, but we all struggle with our sin. Your sin might be premarital sex. Your sin might be gluttony. It might be lying. It might be stealing. It might be murder, whatever. We all have some sins that we're trying to work through in this life, right? And this particular couple, um, more so the more so Carmen, because Franco has not confessed salvation, at, you know, as the book begins. Um, but Carmen has, and she, you know, she just does what she does. It just is what it is. Okay, let me read our blurb here. Two worlds collide as Franco Denali, the mobster, meets Carmen Sanders, the elementary school principal. Franco has been in love with Carmen since the day he laid eyes on her. Carmen has no idea who Franco truly is. But when their coffee date turns into dinner and she finds out, how will she handle it? Will she let the news of his family's business keep her away or Will she allow him to stick around long enough to reveal the sincerity of his heart? Enjoy the journey. It is a wild one. And I also, I always put an asterisk within my book synopsis and let people know because there are some, there, there have been, there's one reader that I can recall that read my book and they were like, I didn't know that this was a faith book, you know? And I was like, every single one of my 12 romance novels are faith-based romance novels. And I don't think they read the description because I put this in every description that this is a faith-based fiction filled with prayers. Now, this one is specific to this book, but please note that the heroine is still working out some areas of her faith and welcomes a little steam in her life. <laughs> We're just going to call it a little steam in her life. So I also have a little section here that I'm going to read to you. It says, Carmen looked away from him, debating whether to be honest and share herself or lie and protect her heart. She, she chose the former. I like you. With that, she turned 
climbed into her car and sped away. So that's just a little bit of what's going on in the book. And that particular scene happens after their after 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 a date <laughs> i'll just say after a date but pick up you a, and i'm gonna tell y'all this can y'all see i can't get it okay there it is do y'all see that it, it's a gun right i did this cover myself like i could not find a cover reflective of this book and so i actually took some construction paper i have some shears that have the different designs on them I took my shears, cut out a heart, and I cut out a gun <laughs> within the heart. And that is how this cover came to be. When you're an artist on a budget, you got to be creative in ways to share the story or share the book or do the cover for your book. Um, so I was a creative, but I love it. It turned out so good, didn't it? <laughs> so yeah, so pick up your copy of A Mobster's Love. You can find it at determinedpublishing.com and you can find it on Kobo, Kobo, excuse me, it's Kobo Rakuten is where you can get my digital copies. I will add all of that information in the description so that you can have it. I'll add a link to my website as well as a link to take you directly to um, a mobster's love so you can pick it up if I'm not mistaken this book is maybe 10 or 12 I need to start writing down my prices so that I can give you all the correct price I actually have all of my books both digital copies and the um, printed copy so I don't think about the price but I need to do that so I will do better y'all make sure I have a price list ready so that I can give you the exact price for my book so don't forget to join us uh, next month the fourth Thursday in April for a mobster's love. Y'all, this book is good. Y'all need to get this one. All right. So I am done with my book study. I want to say thank you so much for, um, for everyone joining us. Thank you for being a part of this 2021 book study. Like I said, I love each and every one of my books. They each tell a story about the characters. And my prayer is that you will laugh, that you will cry, that you will learn, that you will grow, that your heart be pricked. And that my books will cause a change to come about in your life. So thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to seeing you next Thursday at 6.30 p.m. for Bible study. Y'all, I might have some special guests for Bible study. We're going to see if they're willing to come on. But maybe I'll have some special guests for Bible study next Thursday at 6.30 p.m. You're going to have to just tune in to find out. So again, thank you. God bless you and enjoy your weekend. Toodles.
welcome to Determine Publishing's 2021 book study. In addition to going live on my YouTube channel at 6.30 p.m. every Thursday, I also go live on all podcasts at 8 o'clock p.m. every Thursday. Join me then and don't forget to subscribe. Blessings.